0: Please open a copy of scriptures to 1 Samuel chapter 1 for our reading and preaching of the word today. If you do not have a copy of scripture, but would like to be able to follow along with us, we have uh, ushers at the door ready to get them into your hands. Please just raise your hand now. And we would be glad to deliver it to you where you are. Lift your hand and they will bring it over to you. If you are using a church Bible, First Samuel chapter 1 is on page 211. You can raise your hand and they'll bring it to you right now. If you're using a church Bible, First Samuel chapter 1 is on page 211. We're going to read the whole chapter, verse 1 to verse 28. Hear now what Holy Scripture says. There was a certain man of Ramathaim Zophim, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zoph, an Ephraithite. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Penina. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord, to Yahweh of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of Yahweh. And on the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though Yahweh had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously, to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of Yahweh, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the temple of Yahweh. She was deeply distressed and prayed to Yahweh and wept bitterly, and she vowed a vow and said, O Yahweh of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to Yahweh all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before Yahweh, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart. Only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, "'How long will you go on being drunk? "'Put your wine away from you.' But Hannah answered, "'No, my lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit.' I've drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I am pouring out my soul before Yahweh. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before Yahweh. Then they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and Yahweh remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived And bore a son. And she called his name Samuel. For she said, I have asked for him from Yahweh. The man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to Yahweh the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up. For she said to her husband, as soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him. So that he may appear in the presence of of Yahweh and dwell there forever. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli. And she said, Oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who is standing here in your presence, praying to Yahweh. For this child I prayed. And Yahweh has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to Yahweh. As long as he lives, he is lent to Yahweh and he worshipped Yahweh there. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, would you bless your word as it is proclaimed among us? As we've heard of a woman grieved, provoked, irritated, depressed, anxious, and vexed someone in such sorrow who you remembered and you restored. May your Holy Spirit grant us faith to rejoice in your restoring power and to believe that you were able to bring restoration out of even the worst and most corrupt circumstances today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Do you know the feeling that settles heavy in your heart when something feels so bad and so wrong that there's no way it could get any worse? A relationship... your job your child your health church when things are so bad that they can't get any worse what do we what do we do where can you go over the next 4 weeks we're going to be entering into a time of some of the worst moral and political corruption in the entire history of Israel. We're going to see, though, amidst such wretched corruption, a familiar pattern that God has throughout Scripture. A pattern that shows us how God brings restoration out of corruption. We'll see how God brings restoration from the horrible injustices from the society around us. We're going to see how God brings restoration out of the terrible abuses we can feel and see from leadership within us. But today, we start with one woman, one person. And we look at the corruptions and pains and distresses that we feel within us. Can God restore us from disgrace? We're going to look at, see, the disgrace that Hannah suffered. And then, by the grace of God, I hope that we will be able to rejoice in what God has done, and then also have the faith in what God can do in our disgraces, now. So what happened to Hannah? Hannah lived in the time of the judges. It was a bad time. Yet, she was married to a good man. This man named Elkanah, in a bad time, everyone in this society, scripture says, did what was right in their own eyes. But Elkanah was a man who observed and kept God's law. God's law required that the men and uh, citizens of the nation would travel annually on a pilgrimage to make sacrifices and worship at where the house of God was. And every year, Alcana took his family to worship and taught his children to do the same. He was a good man, but marrying a second wife was a bad decision. He likely did it, Because Hannah was his first wife, yet she was not able to bear a child. And he wanted an heir to pass on his inheritance. So he wrongfully married a second woman. And this, this would have devastated Hannah. The name Hannah has a similar meaning to the Hebrew word for like favor or grace. And in this time, your name really was the essence of your identity. Abraham's name was father of many nations. Because God promised to him that he would have a family that would become as great as a nation. Hannah's name meant woman of grace. Essence of her identity. Yet in this time in the Old Covenant, childbearing was a sign of God's blessing and God's favor to his people and to no fault of her own this woman whose essence was a woman of grace felt like she was not receiving a blessing but a curse this woman of grace felt severely disgraced but the barrenness itself unfortunately was just the beginning of the troubles that she experienced Elkanah wanted all of his family to participate in worship. So he gave his one wife Penina portions for sacrifice, and likely he gave an amount so that he could even she could evenly distribute it amongst her children. And she had many sons, daughters. Penina sounds like a a word in Hebrew that kind of means like fruitful or abundant. But then Akana turns to Hannah, who had no children, and gave her a portion for sacrifice that was double what Panina gave to her many children. And he did it, though he was a good man, it was a bad decision to have preferential treatment. And Panina here, see this the math doesn't add up. And she makes sure Hannah knows it. Hannah was severely mistreated by Penina. Year after year, all she wanted to do was simply come to the house of God. Come to offer sacrifice. Come to eat the feast. Come to worship the Lord. But whenever she went, her rival provoked her. She was left disgraced, harassed. Depressed and alone. Mistreated by a rival and misunderstood by her husband. He ha- he's a good man, but he has a kind of a bad response that's just kind of insensitive. Am I not more to you than ten sons? He does not understand her at all. Some wife can sympathize with this. And some guys were about as emotionally aware as a rock. He turns to her and he's like, what am I doing wrong? I'm giving you the larger portions of offerings. I've given you the larger portions of my affection. Why aren't you happy? Am I not enough? Mistreated, misunderstood, year after year after year. But one year, something different happens. At the temple... She can't offer the worship she wants in joy. So she offers another type of worship in lament. She pours out her soul to the God she addresses as Yahweh of hosts. This is the first time that this name is used for God in Scripture, and it's significant. When she prays to God as Yahweh of hosts, it shows the quality of faith that Hannah has in the God she worships, Yahweh is the personal name of the God of Scriptures. It means I am. It's used by worshipers, and, and worshipers address God as Yahweh, who are a part of His chosen people, who are recipients of His covenant blessings, who are objects of His steadfast love, His abundant mercy, His tender compassion. Yahweh of hosts is a military name. It describes God's unmatched authority and might to command a host of power to deliver and preserve the security of his people. Hannah was disgraced. She was harassed. She was depressed. She was alone, but she turns to the supreme being whom she knows created all things, yet who may feel far from her in that moment, and she believes this is a God who is merciful, this is a God who is powerful, and maybe he can show his mercy and power to deliver and have compassion on me. So she turns to Yahweh of hosts and she makes a vow. If Yahweh of hosts would look on her affliction and see her, if he would remember and not forget her, and if he would provide her a son, then she would give that son back to the Lord. And that son would be committed to a holy life of service to Yahweh of hosts. The commitment that she makes in verse 11, that no razor shall touch his head, is likely that she is committing her son to be a Nazarite. A Nazarite was a special vow that someone would make who believed that they were called to or who God himself called to a unique task and endeavor. And by restraining from certain lifestyle um, decisions like not cutting your hair, like not touching anything uh, that is dead, like not having a strong drink, they believed that this type of commitment that God would honor and bless. Samson was a Nazarite. While it's not explicitly mentioned in Scripture, it's very likely that John the Baptist was also a Nazarite. In the depths of her disgrace, and in a moment of desperate faith, where she pours out her heart before him, when she has already been mistreated and she's already been misunderstood, she comes to what was likely the most vulnerable moment in her whole life before God and after being mistreated and misunderstood, now she was misjudged and shamed by the spiritual leader who was supposed to care for her. What can I say about Eli. We hear a lot about him in two weeks for now. He was about as useless as the chair that he sat on. This man, he was a retired priest. And uh, when you're a retired priest over the age of 50, you can't administer the sacrifices anymore, but you could be like a, a, um, a temple century. You could kind of be like a hall monitor to kind of watch and make sure that the laws are being observed, that no one's acting out. So when he's sitting at the doorpost of the temple, it's at the door into where inside there was the altar and outside there's this like vestibule lobby area. So he's in this lobby area when most people are outside the vestibule eating and having their feast, and Anna, Hannah can't feast, so she comes in to have this private moment of prayer, and that's what he's doing. So he's this temple sanctuary who's keep a watch over things, but he's also a judge. Uh, there was no king in Israel at the time, so in order to have disputes where Uh, to settle disputes between two people where a wrong was done or to give clarity of what the law teaches to see that God's word was faithfully practiced, people would go to the judge to be able to um, render a judgment on an issue of dispute. And this watchman looks at her mouth but completely misses her heart. And this judge completely misjudges her. Maybe you think I'm being a little hard on the guy. Well, I could be way harder. Do you hear the the sting in Hannah's words in response to Eli's voice? Listen, in verse uh, 15, she says, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have no uh, drunk neither wine nor strong drink. I've been pouring out my soul before God. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. She thinks that her spiritual leader is supposed to watch over and judge rightly, thinks she's a worthless woman. This term is uh, literally translated daughter of Belial. If there were like a list of bad words, like, you know, parents, you, you have your, your, like, bad words lists. Like, there's the F word, the H word. Like, there's bad names you call people, too. We don't use these words. If there was a bad words list in ancient Israel, this might be close to the top one. Daughter or son of Belial was what an idol worshiper was called in Deuteronomy 13.13. 13. In Deuteronomy 13.13, the law says that if a city is found in Israel that has been so absorbed and consumed by idol worship, then the judgment and render against that city was that the rest of the nation should go in and devote everything to sword and fire. And those worshipers of idols were called children of Belial. This slanderous term is used throughout First and 2 Samuel. David is wrongly called a son of Belial by that guy who like, throws rocks at him because he's angry that he killed King Saul. If you hated someone so much and thought they were so morally polluted that you wanted them to be purged from the face of the earth, you would call them a daughter of Belial. If a pastor or a small group leader calls you that, I'm not staying in that church. But look at how Hannah responds. I would be out the door or in their face. But Hannah calls herself his servant and calls him her Lord. What a humility and gentle godliness that she has. It is shocking how how gracious this disgraced woman is to others. And then when Eli recognizes that he is wrong, a shift happens. He changes mind from shaming her to honoring her. Verse 17 Eli says, Go in peace. And the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made him. Yahweh of... And then, very quickly, God answers her prayer. Verse 20. In due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel. For he said... She said, I have asked him from the Lord. As soon as the shift happens in Eli's mind and he honors her prayer rather than shaming it, God very quickly answers her prayer. The Yahweh of hosts whom she turned to, her merciful and powerful God, he remembered her. I can be very thoughtless and very easily forget things, not remember things. Uh, My wallet, my keys, my phone, that last item that my wife texted me to get from the grocery list. And I'm sure you can be like that as well too. My mom was notorious for losing her keys and I probably should get her like an AirTag for Christmas or something like that. But then at the same time, she also doesn't know where her phone is half the time. So having a tracking device that can be tracked on your phone isn't gonna be very useful if you don't know where your phone is. When we're forgetful like this, It's because we're thoughtless. It's because we're busy. When scripture says that God remembers, it's not because he was distracted with something else important. This term remember has a unique, redemptive impact to it. Do you remember how long Israel was in slavery for in Egypt? It's 400 years. 400 years. What's God doing while they're in slavery for 400 years? Is he sitting back? Forgetting about the people that he made a promise and a covenant to? Is he occupied with other things? In Exodus 2 verse 24, scripture says, During those many days the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Saying that God remembers doesn't say that God was busy and thoughtless previously. When God remembers, he intervenes according to his promises for our good at the time that he Decides. When God remembers, He intervenes according to His promises for our good at the wise time that He decides. And this was the moment where God chose to intervene. The whole time in her pain, God saw. When Hannah finally cried out, To her, he heard. God saw. God heard. Yahweh of hosts remembered. And when he remembered and provided a child for her, this moment wasn't just good for her. It was good for the whole nation. Yahweh of hosts remembered Hannah, and he remembered Israel. Because the nation was corrupt, and the nation desperately needed restoration. And Hannah's son, the Nazarite priest Samuel, would be set apart and used up by God to restore his prophetic word to his people, which had been so wretchedly abandoned, and would restore God's presence to his people so they could enjoy his blessing again. When God remembered Hannah, God remembered Israel And Samuel, this Nazarite priest who brought God's prophetic word back to his people, would prepare them for the king after God's own heart, King David, who would keep stability and build prosperity for God's covenant people. Many generations later, there was another barren woman in Israel. And her name was Elizabeth. And like Elizabeth, God saw her. Or like Hannah, God saw Elizabeth. God heard them. God remembered them. And at a very old age, God gave Elizabeth a son. John. And like Samuel, John the Baptist would be committed to a Nazarite vow. And as Samuel prepared the way... For King David, John the Baptist prepared the way for the greater King David, the son of David, Jesus of Nazareth. And as God promised to David that one of his sons would sit enthroned over his people in righteousness forever, Jesus Christ came and inaugurated the eternal kingdom of God. When God remembers, he intervenes for our good, at the right time that he chooses. And here's hope for you, friend. This Yahweh of hosts who's created all things, who remembers the nations, who remembers the world, who remembers kings and kingdoms, first set his eye on one hurting individual. Can God restore me from my disgrace? Yes. Yahweh of hosts sees you. When you call out to him, he hears you. And as you wait on him, he remembers you. If you find yourself disgraced today, you have reason for hope in Christ. You may be feeling suffering because of reasons like Hannah, and it is completely not your fault. Like Hannah, you may feel, you may feel harassed. You may feel depressed. You may feel alone, mistreated, misunderstood, misjudged. I want you to see now the the beautiful shift that happens in her heart. The way that God restores her so that we can rejoice in what God has done and so that we can have hope for what God can do in our hearts. Where once Hannah was misjudged, she was blessed in the Lord. Even though Eli was a pitiful leader, his blessing actually meant something. And Hannah knew this. Priests were uh, ordained by God to be mediators between God and between man. So when a priest gave a blessing, it was as from the Lord. And when Hannah received this blessing, she received it as from the Lord. And there's a clever way in which she responds to Eli that shows that this disgraced woman Is finally able to see herself as God sees her. When she responds and says, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. This word favor is similar to the word grace. Hannah's name is Woman of Grace. Because of the blessing that she has in the Lord, she's finally. Able to start to see her the way that God sees her. Her face enlightens up. She can eat from the table of worship. You may find yourself in a place where you have so little, if any, joy, where you're so often downcast, where you can't see yourself the way that God sees you. Christian, God's heart for you doesn't depend on the place that your mood is in today. You are no worse of a Christian if you have a deflated mood rather than a chipper and happy mood. But when we see God for how he sees us, we can start to see a change in our temperament and disposition and worship like our hearts wants to again, where once she was misjudged, now she was blessed. Where once she was misunderstood by her husband, now she was affirmed. See, in the law, if a wife made a rash and unwise vow, because the husband, is the husband is the head of his house, the law gave the right to a husband to nullify a rash or unwise vow that his wife made. And previously, he does not get why she is in the mood that she is in. But now, he sees what she's done, he sees her vow and he affirms it. He dignifies her. He upholds her. He encourages her. She is supported and nourished and cherished by the man who now sees her heart rightly. She was once misjudged but now she is blessed she's once misunderstood now she's affirmed everything that disgraced her god is slowly starting to unravel where once she was mistreated now she is vindicated when she says that she's going to wean at samuel she's uh helping him to no longer be dependent on nursing and uh jewish tradition likely uh Held that it was about three years that it took for a child to be weaned. So three years, and she goes. And the, uh, you guys have seen young moms carrying strollers and carrying bags and carrying all their kids, and you see them it's like, man, they've got a handful. Now Hannah has to go from uh, Ramah to Jerusalem. It's miles of a walk, and there's no minivan, and she's carrying toddler in hand and a bull and some wheat, and some wine. But she's finally ready to give an offering, and this offering is remarkably huge. When you made a vow, it was supposed to be fulfilled with an offering that came to it when you fulfilled your vow. And there was a stipulation of the law of what you specifically needed to give. But what she gave here is likely three times what was required of her. And she comes and offers a three times portion with great joy. That's a noticeably remarkable offering. But what's even more noticeable is what you can't see and what you can't hear. Penina has nothing to say. She is vindicated. everything that disgraced her has now been undone because God remembered her. Can God restore my disgrace? Yes. He sees your affliction. He hears your prayers. He remembers. Do you believe that God can restore your disgrace with dignity so that you have a peace and you have a joy as the Lord restored to this woman. I've been told that jobs like first responders, emergency department workers, that these are some of the most psychologically taxing jobs you can have. You probably Some of you have these jobs and a lot of you have family and friends that are in these kind of jobs. And I really believe that this, these kind of jobs really play a toll on you. I've had to uh, make a few 911 calls in my life. And every time I do, because it's like a life and death situation, like I am frantic. But the men and the women who come to uh, offer their services to me, they're professionals. They're calm. They're cool. They're respectful. I feel comforted. But then they're off to their next thing. And I don't know, maybe I'm a good story around coffee at the end of the day with their spouse or their friends. But like a year from now, they probably don't remember because they went from one life-saving thing to another life-saving thing. And I was just another box to check. It can be really easy for Christians to have this attitude creep into our faith and our perception about our relationship with God. We know that God saved us. We know that God's redeemed us. Does he actually like me? We know that he loved me enough to send me His son, but does he love me enough to know me, to care for me? Or is he just too busy moving on to rescue another soul? Christian, Yahweh of hosts is a merciful God And a powerful God. Psalm 56 verse 8 says, you have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Every sleepless night that you've been stewing over the hateful thing that someone said to you. every wet pillowcase that you've had to throw into the wash again. God sees all of it. He knows all of it. He remembers you. Eli was a useless priest who shamed Hannah at her most vulnerable moment. But you have a high priest who suffered in every way and was tempted in every way, yet was without sin and who is able to sympathize with your weaknesses so that the scripture says you can draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, that you can receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Do you believe that you can turn to God and he like a father and mother has kind eyes to their waddling toddler moving towards them, that he has kind eyes to welcome you and help you. Your high priest not only sympathizes with your weaknesses, but he suffered for them as well. Because the true measure of our disgrace is not what happened to us, but what we each have done to our holy God. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray, each of us to our own way. Yet God laid on Christ the iniquities of us all. Our sin is putrid. We are sons and daughters of Belial. We deserve to be purged from this earth. But Christ suffered all of God's wrath and all of God's judgment, so that he could look at you with the same eyes that he looks at his own beloved son with whom he is well pleased. Do you believe that God remembers you? He does. God can restore dignity out of disgrace because he remembers you. We can rejoice in what God has done for Hannah. He undid everything that disgrace shamed her with. So you may be asking, well, what about me? When will I find dignity? When can I find peace? If you find yourself in a place like this woman, I would encourage you to respond obediently to God's word in three ways today. Lament. Hope and trust. Lament, hope, and trust. I urge you to lament wisely. Lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust in God. In our prayers of pain, we turn to God, we pour out and express, and vent our complaints, but then we ask for his help and we choose to trust. But a lot of us, Um, we can feel drowning in our sorrows, but we never actually pour out our sorrows. We never actually bring them to God. And some of us have a confused misunderstanding that if we think mature and healthy Christians have chipper and bright moods, and joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, so I'm not allowed to be sad. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 3 says, sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness by sadness the heart is made gl- the face of the heart is made glad don't avoid going to god with your sorrows it's hard it's exhausting but don't avoid it pour out your heart don't avoid it but also don't live there all the time The wisdom of lament is also practicing joy. Ecclesiastes 2 verse 3 to 4 says, For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. So what do we do when we can't rest, when we're full of sorrow? It says there's nothing better than for a person than he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also is from the hand of God. I have found in some of the worst sorrows that I've experienced when I'm drowning in pain that the best grace for me is like to have a nice drink, fried dumplings, homemade pizza. And that can be the wisest thing that you can do and receive the simple pleasures of taste as a gift from God and a joy. And it may buoy you even for a moment. Every circumstance of pain is different. You need help to be able to find the balance between this. And it depends on the time of your troubles. You could be in in crisis moment or you could be in the aftermath living with the implications. Or that might all be past and you're now just living with the memory of things. It takes wisdom to cut through that line. Lament wisely, but hope in God's promises. Because of the brokenness of our world, not everything can be restored. But God has given us promises in His Word to what we can truly hold to. When God remembers, He intervenes according to His promises for our good at the right moments that He has chosen. So if you're looking, how can God restore my circumstances? Turn to the scriptures. Hold fast explicitly to what God says. But maybe you might feel just like, I'm not sure God's word speaks exactly to my circumstances specifically, or I'm not sure that that God has specifically promised that this thing will be restored. Then hope in God's character, hope in God's heart towards you, and hope in eternity because we have this certain promise that Christ is coming back, that he will make all things new, and he will wipe every tear from our eyes. Lament wisely, hope in his promises, and trust his heart for you. Psalm 103, verse 10 to 13 says, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion on his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Trust his heart for you. You do not need to stand far off off, to the one who has said that he is near to the brokenhearted and saves The Christian spirit. Lament wisely. Hope in his promises. Trust his heart. God can restore us from disgrace. He sees. He hears. He remembers you. Would you pray with me? Our Father, you know the variety of trials and sorrows that your people have suffered under. Lord God, would you, our high priest, minister to each as they need? Would you comfort those who are weary? Would you lift up those Who are downcast. Would you strengthen those. Who feel they cannot. Endure. Would you correct. Those. Who are thinking self righteously. Or vengefully. Would you. Rejuvenate our faith. So that we may believe. You are Yahweh of hosts. Our merciful and powerful God and would you help us to wait on you for those who wait on you will renew their strength sometimes they don't feel like I'm mounting up on wings like eagles I'm walking but I'm fainting yet Lord God you say that those who trust in you will not be put to shame So as hard as it is, as wearisome as it is, as exhausting as it is to wait on you while we feel disgraced, Lord, may we we lament wisely, may we hope in your promises, and may we trust your heart for us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.